So, two miracles this morning uh, that we're uh, looking at here, uh, specifically two healings. It's been mentioned and um, really nicely read for us uh, as well. In the whole book of John, there's only seven uh, miracles uh, recorded, and here we have two of them in quick succession. Okay, uh, that's somewhat uh, interesting. Uh, anybody into statistics? <coughs> right? No, I am. So these, I find some of these something. So if you're into statistics, here's something for you. This morning, we are looking at 29% of the miracles found in the Gospel of John. Right? That's quite a, quite a chunk, right? So, you know, there's a, an answer to prayer. You're learning already, right? Uh, 29%, okay? Now, we know that Jesus performed many more uh, than just seven uh, miracles. So one of the, the key questions, I think, to think about then as we look at a passage like this is, well, why are these two included? Okay, of everything that Jesus was doing, uh, why just these seven, but more importantly for today, why these two? And why are they mentioned back to back, right, in succession uh, there? Let me remind you just quickly of the seven, just so we have an overview here. We have Jesus changing water into wine uh, in chapter 2. Uh, then we've got these two here in chapters 4 and 5. Uh, then we have the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6. Uh, Jesus walking on water in chapter 6 as well. Chapter 9, we have him healing a blind man. Uh, and then in chapter 11, we have him raising uh, Lazarus uh, from uh, the dead. So a variety of miracles. Uh, all showing uh, God's power over every aspect of His creation, whether that's uh, just in nature, whether that's uh, or the people He has created uh, as well. So how do we begin to answer the question, why these two here? Why these two here? Uh, I think one way, uh, for me it's the best way. It might be the only way, I don't know. Uh, but the best way to answer that question is to pay very close attention to the details. Sometimes with, with, with the miracles, they're so exciting, we can get caught up with the, the end result and, and we forget or miss what, what Jesus is doing uh, uh, with the individual or group uh, involved. So we'll look at the details, right? The specifics of who was involved, uh, what did they say? Uh, why did they say that? Do, what does it show about them? Where, what does it show about what they're, or where their thinking uh, is at? What were their expectations in the situation? Both of these miracles today, the individuals involved have expectations, and we're told them. Uh, and Jesus, does Jesus meet those expectations? Does he do something different? Okay, how does he respond? What does Jesus say? What does he do? How does he do it? Okay, uh, all of those uh, things. Uh, we know, we're told, that the healings in Scripture, right, in the, in the Gospels and uh, into Acts as well, they're, they're described as signs, okay? So signs, uh, meaning there was a purpose behind them. They, they point to something else, like any sign does, right? Gives you uh, some sort of direction. In the case of Jesus, uh, they were signs that uh, authenticated, confirmed, uh, both who he was, right, the person, he was the Son of God, he is the Messiah, uh, and also uh, authenticated his message, right, the message of salvation uh, from uh, the Father. So, yep, there were individuals or groups as well that would 
benefit from these miracles, right? The individuals this morning benefited from it. In a couple of weeks, you look at the feeding of the 5,000. There's a group, large group, that benefited uh, from uh, a miracle uh, there. But their benefit was not the, or is not the end goal. That's, that's not the ultimate purpose uh, in these uh, miracles. Keep in mind, the end goal in these signs is to prove who Jesus is uh, and to prove that his message is true. Uh, and it is the message of salvation, right? John himself says later in the book, uh, in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, uh, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Right? So there's very clearly speaking uh, to uh, purpose. Now, in the midst of these sort of big picture purposes uh, of these miracles, as I said, we find people. Uh, we find uh, individuals involved, right? Wonderfully, in the midst of God's big picture purposes, he's still interested in individuals, okay? He sees us as individuals. He deals with us as individuals, meets us as individuals, etc. People in, in different forms or, or, or states of need, uh, and um, uh, both physical, uh, spiritual uh, as well. These miracles this morning, we find both physical and spiritual healing. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I find it a bit interesting as, as you look at these, you maybe listen to being, being read and you wonder, how are we going to deal with, with two miracles, two different ones? I find it interesting when you look at it, these two sort of lend themselves to being compared and contrasted. There's similarities about them. There's also uh, differences, even though they're two physical healings. They've both got their uh, distinctives, uh, which is uh, interesting. So let's look at some of the details, uh, and as we go along, pull out uh, some application, uh, both in the form of encouragement, uh, but also warnings, right? And so we want to uh, catch both of those. So healing number one, okay? So that's uh, chapter 4, verses 46 through the end uh, of the chapter. We find Jesus uh, healing uh, the young son uh, of a royal uh, official, a man who most likely, probably, uh, worked in some capacity for uh, King Herod. If that's the case, he would have been a man with authority. He would have had influence, wealth, power, all of those things, okay? Uh, verse 47 tells us that the boy was at the point of death, okay? So that makes the seriousness of this situation very, very clear, okay? A young boy uh, at the point uh, of death. So we have a father whose son uh, is dying and considering the position and means uh, of this father. No doubt he had tried other things already, okay? Uh, he would have been most likely had the best medical uh, care and help uh, available uh, to him, but obviously the situation deteriorates. Nothing else is working. Obviously, he's heard of Jesus as well because then he travels uh, to find Jesus and to ask him for help. And there's no indication whatsoever uh, that he initially believed that Jesus was anything more than a healer. Okay, we find that as we go through uh, here. 
Okay, so look at what he says. Verse 47 says that he asked, or, or more literally, he, he begged, and that's understandable, right? You, you, you don't have to have a son to understand that if, if, if a father has a son who's not well, he would, you know, very easily be begging for help. So we get that. So Jesus, he goes to Jesus, begs him to come down and heal his son. Okay, so Jesus is in Cana. The son is in Capernaum, roughly 20 miles, right? So there's a bit of distance uh, involved here. Jesus, please come with me. Come to my house uh, and heal uh, my son. Well, what does that show? Well, first of all, it shows that evidently the father thought it was necessary for Jesus to be present with his son in order to be able to heal him. Okay, Jesus, come uh, down uh, and heal uh, my son. Now, you and I know better, right? We can read this book. We can read the whole account in the Gospels. Uh, we know that Jesus doesn't have to be physically present with an individual to heal them or do anything else. But this guy doesn't get that yet, okay? He doesn't uh, understand that, okay? Um, uh, what's important then, again, to notice here is that Jesus is still willing to work with him, okay? Still willing uh, to help uh, this man in spite of that, okay? In spite of the fact that he didn't understand, in spite of the fact that he's not yet a believer, uh, and in spite of the fact as well that Jesus says of him and the others in the crowd uh, around him, unless you see signs, you won't believe, okay? So you're needing proof before you'll uh, believe, um, so this man, he's not a believer, okay? Now, wonderfully, by the end of the, end of the story, he is, right? So uh, we know where we're uh, at least uh, heading with this. Anyways, here he is begging, pleading with Jesus to heal his dying son. Uh, and Jesus says to him, uh, go, your son will live. Go, your son will live. Uh, and in that statement, Jesus shows, proved that he indeed can heal even when he's not present uh, with somebody, okay? Now, what was going on in the, in the dad's mind in that moment, right? Again, begging, Jesus, please come with me and heal my son. And Jesus says, go, your son will live. What, what's going on in his mind? Uh, you think, well, was he maybe a bit confused, right? Uh, maybe a bit upset, disappointed? I came here to get you to come with me, and you're just telling me, go, it'll all be okay? Uh, is he uh, even angry? All of those would be human uh, responses that we might think are perfectly normal uh, in a situation uh, like this. But John tells us that the guy believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. He believed the word uh, that Jesus spoke on his way. In other words, like the NIV puts it, he took Jesus at his word. He took Jesus at his word. He believed what Jesus said. Now, he's still not a believer, right? He's still not a, a believer at this point. He's simply believing what Jesus said uh, at that point. He believed that Jesus would heal his son, okay? There's a bit of a progression in this guy's journey of belief uh, as such here. First of all, it was a belief that Jesus could heal because he went looking for him. He must have uh, believed at least that. Then it progresses to a belief in the actual words that Jesus uh, said, right? Your son will live. So he believed that. Uh, and then finally in verse 53, it's a belief in Jesus himself. 
And we can assume that when we're talking about a belief in Jesus himself, it's his person, it's his deity, uh, and that he is the Savior. Now, John tells us it wasn't just the Father, it was the whole family. And we get that, right? The whole family knew the situation. The whole family knew the boy was dying. The whole family knew that the father went to find Jesus. The whole family saw the boy well. And when the father gets back and says, what time did the boy get better? And they say at one o'clock, and he goes, well, that's exactly the time that Jesus said, go, your son will live. So there's, there's no sort of, um, nothing sort of vague here or anything. It's all very clear. It's all uh, very clear in front of them, and the family uh, believes uh, there. Now, while it's the young boy who is the sort of recipient of the uh, physical uh, healing there, I don't really think he's central to the narrative. I think it's the father. Okay? I think he's the one that most of the attention is on, the details that were uh, given uh, here. I think it's the father and his sort of journey here, his sort of journey to uh, belief uh, in Jesus Christ. Now think about it, there's still plenty of people out there today who believe that there is a God, uh, but their belief goes no further than that. And then you've got people that believe there is a God, and they believe that He's good and, he, and He's capable of doing good things, and maybe even pray to that end, you know, God help me, or God help that person, uh, or whatever it might be. That belief, just like a simple belief in God, there God that exists, that's not going to save anyone. Okay? Uh, salvation only comes through a belief in the person and work uh, of Jesus Christ and applying those truths uh, personally, right? And that can be a journey. That can be a process. Uh, and it was for this father uh, here. Uh, one of the advantages of being a visiting speaker is that you don't know everybody. Um, now, that can be a disadvantage as well, I, I get, but it allows me to say things like, I don't know where you're at because I don't, I maybe know where some of you are at, but I don't know uh, where uh, you're at. You might be on that sort of journey at the minute as well, okay, this journey of uh, belief. And, and may I uh, lovingly warn you uh, that a belief that Jesus exists is not enough, a belief that Jesus is a good person and can do good things and powerful things, that belief is not uh, enough, right? Uh, scripture is clear that you and I, we need to understand that we are uh, sinners that, and we're separated from God, uh, and yet Jesus Christ came to earth to sacrifice himself for that sin because that sin must be dealt with one way or another. It's either through Christ or through its eternal punishment and separation from God. Right? Bible makes that uh, very uh, clear. So Jesus provides this way of salvation uh, and true belief, right, only experienced by you and I uh, through faith uh, in that. Now what a moment this was for this family, right, here in John chapter 4, right? Not only do they experience the joy of the boy being healed, uh, but they experience the joy of salvation uh, in their family. Uh, my kids say this thing when anytime something good happens, and, and it can be the littlest thing, normally it's even going to McDonald's. 
and they get it, and then it's best day ever, <laughs> right? Best day ever, and yeah, whatever. Every day is the best day ever, right? Pizza for dinner, best day ever, right? Well, for this family, right, that would be very applicable. Best day ever. The young guy's healed, uh, and our family is saved, and knows comes into uh, personal relationship uh, with Jesus. What a, what a happy ending to that story. Right? Jesus heals. Let's move on. We'll come to some more conclusions here in a minute. Move on to the second healing. So that gets us into chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 9. Now, first of all, uh, I said a wee while ago that these two miracles lend themselves to sort of be compared and contrasted. So just notice some of the differences, first of all, contrast here. First of all, an age. Okay, so we've got two healings. Uh, <clears throat> The royal official is young boy. Uh, in the second healing, it's uh, an old uh, invalid. Now you're sitting there going, it tells us he's 38 years old. That's not old, right? Well, <clears throat> I'm older than 38 years old, so I would agree with you. That's not old. But keep in mind that at this time, just a little bit of historical context, at this time in the Roman Empire, the, the average life expectancy for a man was younger than 38 years. So this guy's old, right? Not today, but he's old. So we've got a young boy being healed, and what for that time uh, would be uh, somebody older. So we've got a difference in age. We've got a difference in location, right? In the first one, Jesus is 20-odd miles away uh, from the young boy who needs to be healed. Uh, here in this passage here, the guy is right in front of him. Okay, so we've got a bit of a difference uh, there. Uh, we've got a difference... Uh, that we can compare even in status as such, as far as society sees. Here we have the, the son of a, a royal official, right? A family of wealth and, and influence and status uh, compared to a, uh, a, this invalid here. Um, poor, insignificant in the eyes of society. So there's quite a difference. Here's Jesus mixing with all different uh, types of uh, people here, different circumstances, different physical needs, exactly the same spiritual need though, right, which is the same uh, with all of us, right, the need to understand who Jesus really is uh, and a belief in him uh, for salvation. Uh, we're told that this second healing takes place in Jerusalem by the side of a pool uh, called Bethesda, and you can dig into that and you can see that Bethesda means this idea of house of grace or house of uh, kindness. And doesn't that make it sound just like a wonderful place? House of grace. Oh, I want to be there. House of kindness. I know there's even churches that claim this name, right? Bethesda. And, and I like that. That's kind of cool. House of kindness. Um, just because they name the church Bethesda doesn't mean it's going to be a house of kindness, right? But hopefully, uh, hopefully it is. Okay? But we're told... In this house of kindness, uh, situated around the edges of this pool is a multitude of people in tremendous need. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. In reality, the outcasts of society. Okay? Remember at that time, the prevailing thought uh, was that if you were suffering, essentially it's your own fault. You were suffering because you sinned. Okay, so this is on you. 
So why should I really care about you? Why should I do anything to help you when you've done this to bring it to yourself? So it gives a little bit of a, an insight into why uh, society treated these people uh, like this. Absolutely not right. I'm not trying to excuse it uh, in any way because that's not uh, the case. So this definitely was not a place of grace, right? This was not a place of kindness. These people didn't go there and society just came and loved on them and cared for them the way that we as a church would want to today, okay? That's not, uh, that's not the case. This was a place of hurt. This was a place of despair and fear and anger and all of those uh, emotions that come uh, with it. Uh, this pool, you can dig into this again as well, this pool was actually, has been discovered and excavated, right? Somewhere around the late 1800s, okay? Uh, things were built on top of it. Well, they dug it up uh, and, and found at least some of the rough dimensions. I find this interesting. This pool is roughly the size of a football pitch, right? It's roughly 100 meters long, 15 meters deep, and about 50 meters wide that is split down the middle long ways with like a, a divider, right? John says there's five pillars essentially in each corner and then one pillar in the middle of, of this divide. So when John says there were multitudes of people around here, how many people can you cram in around a football pitch with a divider down the middle? Literally hundreds if not thousands. So when he says there was a multitude, he's absolutely right to say that. Okay? I have to say, I didn't know that before prepping this. I imagined this little round sort of paddling pool, you know, with half a dozen sort of people around it. That's not the case. 15 meters deep, right? This was massive, right? So, lots of people uh, around it. Absolutely accurate. Now, they're all there because there was a belief, or maybe better described as a superstition, that when the water rippled, that that was the sign that an angel from the Lord had come down, uh, and the thought was that the first person that got into the pool after that ripple would be healed. Now, in reality, we now know that these pools were connected to springs that would flow in and make the water uh, ripple. But the belief was, I need to get into that pool, and if I'm the first one, uh, I'm going to be healed. But don't get caught up with that. That's not the purpose of what's going on here. That's not what the, the key revelations are uh, in this uh, miracle uh, here. Don't be distracted with, well, why did they think that? And were people actually, what happened? And all that. Don't, that's not where we're heading with this, right? Pick it up in verse 5, if you've still got your Bible open there. Verse 5 says, One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Do you want uh, to be healed? Or more literally, are you willing to be healed? Are you willing to be healed? Do you want to be healed? What a question, right? What a question that is. Now look at this man's response, right? This is verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one. Uh, literally, I have no man. I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down uh, before me. 
Now, I don't want to bore you with Greek and all of that, but I will tell you that uh, in the Greek, the, the, the Greek structure of this sentence, the, the order that it's in, is, is highlighting, is emphasizing man here. This guy saying, I have no man to help me in, right? It's emphasizing, I don't have a man to help me uh, get in or to, uh, to get into the pool. And that's important because it shows where this guy's mindset is at, okay? An individual in need here, uh, and we get a, a, an insight into his thinking uh, here. And he's experiencing something here that you and I, ah, ooh, <laughs> uh, that you and I can experience as well. That's not me coughing, is it? No. Right? You and I can experience this uh, as well. It can be easy uh, to fall into a way of thinking that we only see one solution to our need. Right? Because that's where this guy is at here. Okay? Well, how is that seen? Well, Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? What should he have said? Or yes, please. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, right? Yes, please heal me. What does he say? Okay? What does he say? Well, he says, sir, you know, I, 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 anytime the water ripples, I'm trying to get there, but every time I try, somebody beats me to it. So shows he's so fixed in this way. Here's my need. And the only way that he sees that his need can be met is if this other man or some man helps him uh, into uh, the pool. And you can almost hear the despair in his voice and the hurt. And every time I try, it's not like the water was rippling 20 times a day or anything. You know, they were waiting there maybe for days at a time for this false hope. And, and, and I try and, I, and, I, and somebody shouts out, but I can't move well. And I, and I try to get there. And sometimes I get so close and then somebody jumps in ahead of me. This is the only way he could see that he could uh, be healed. You and I can fall into that as well. We can have needs. And we can get so stuck in a way of thinking of, Lord, this is how you need to meet this need. Because this is the only way that I can see or imagine uh, that it turns out well uh, for me uh, in this sense. When in reality, God has plans and purposes uh, for meeting that need in ways that we can't even imagine. Wonderfully, right? His thoughts are so much higher uh, above uh, our thoughts uh, as well. Jesus asks him, are you willing to be healed? Okay, are you willing uh, to be healed? And we could ask ourselves that as well. Are you willing? Are you willing to have your, your, your need uh, met uh, by uh, God in a way that is different to how you think it, or I think it should be met. Now, it worked out pretty good for this guy here, right? Maybe uh, a normal person would have said, you know, Jesus essentially saying, can I help you? And, and the guy sort of going off on something else, and like, okay, well, then I'll go look for somebody else that wants to be healed, you know? Uh, that's not what Jesus does uh, here, right? Jesus tells him to get up and walk. Get up and walk, right? And the guy obeys, right? And in that moment, he has healed. So his solution, this poor man here, his solution is, 
I need another man to help me uh, get into the pool quickly. So the object of his faith is completely wrong. He was trusting in other people here. Okay? Uh, but God's solution was Jesus. Okay? Uh, and the grace uh, seen uh, there. So once again, just like in the first miracle, uh, Jesus shows mercy uh, and heals him. Okay? And the man responds by getting up uh, and walking. Again, healed uh, by uh, the grace of God. Now, John says right at the end, he just, this idea of, you know, pulling the pin on a hand grenade and chucking it uh, in the middle of a group here, he says, this was done on the Sabbath. And I don't know who's next gets to deal with that one. Okay, you can deal with the consequences of Jesus healing somebody uh, on the Sabbath, right? The things that people got caught up with. Uh, but anyways, for today, two miracles, two times uh, where Jesus met individuals right where they were at, right at the point of their need, right where their thoughts uh, were at, and he shows compassion to them, he shows grace uh, to them to help them uh, in uh, their need. Let me wrap this up in closing. I get we've got uh, communion as well, and um, like to get to that uh, as well. So just by way then of closing and, and, and summary uh, here, quick summary, what principles then do we pull out of these two uh, miracles uh, here? Well, first, let's go back to the warning. Okay, a warning. Uh, belief in God's existence and belief in God's ability to do mighty things will not save you. Okay? It doesn't make you right before God. It doesn't justify you uh, before Him. Okay? The man in the first miracle believed those things. He believed that Jesus could heal. Okay? Uh, but he was not a believer. He was not yet uh, saved. Now, wonderfully, we saw through this encounter with Jesus, he became a believer. But many are in a similar uh, situation. Okay? Go out there, ask people, do you believe there's a God? Now, loads will say no, right? But there'll be a lot that says, sure, yes, you dig in deeper, right? Well, what do you think about, he says, what does he say in his word? Well, I'm not so sure about some of that stuff, but I believe there's a God, right? They're nowhere, absolutely nowhere, okay? That's as far as it goes. The Bible makes it clear that's not enough. There must be repentance uh, and trust in Jesus Christ uh, as Savior. So there's a warning in these miracles, okay? Uh, secondly, let's put this very simply, God can do things that you and I are not expecting, okay? God can do things we are not expecting. The royal official expected that Jesus had to be present with his son uh, in order uh, to heal him, okay? But soon discovered uh, in the Oh, I forget the guy's name. That's my fault. Uh, who said this? He says, this guy soon found out um, that uh, Christ's word is as good as Christ's presence. His word is as good as his presence. Okay? That was his uh, experience there. The, uh, the, the invalid man, he was not expecting healing from Jesus. Right? Do you want to be healed? Well, I can't get into the pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you want to be healed? But I can't get into the pool. Do you want to be healed? I can't get into the pool. Get up and walk. Right? What a, a different expectation uh, he had there. Jesus healed him anyways, okay? Sometimes, maybe even many times, and it, it could be we could start 
you know, sharing, experience, giving testimony of many times where God has met our needs in unexpected ways. Okay, he still, uh, he still uh, does that. Our responsibility, our privilege is to trust him through that and see him uh, do these uh, things. And that's a principle that can be applied to all the promises of God. Right? Many promises. And you and I can fall into the ways of, well, this is how God is going to fulfill this promise. Or this is how he's going to meet that promise. And he's got so much other things going on with it that's just going to blow my tiny little mind. Right? Unexpected ways uh, that God uh, does things. That's great. Thirdly, finally, uh, the fact, the, the, the proof in these uh, miracles here of God's willingness and eagerness and openness to meet us right where we're at. Okay? Right where we're at. Uh, in both miracles, uh, Jesus engaged with these individuals in spite of their lack of understanding of him. Okay? These weren't believers who were coming and had, these weren't his disciples coming to him asking for healing or something like that. Okay, these were different uh, individuals. Okay? No understanding essentially of him, no belief uh, in him, at least at the beginning. Okay? And yet Jesus reached out in grace. Okay? That's who he is. Okay? I might do that sometimes. You might do that sometimes. People, we can be so inconsistent in some of those behaviors. Uh, but not Jesus, okay? He reaches out uh, in uh, grace. Remember, grace, just getting what we don't deserve, right? And how consistent God is with that, consistently giving us what we don't deserve uh, and meeting us uh, where uh, we're at. And he still does that. He hasn't changed, right? 2,000 years ago, he's still doing this today. He's still reaching out in grace to unbelievers, and he's still reaching out in grace to believers as well who are walking with him and maybe struggling or uh, whatever uh, they might be uh, doing there. Again, I don't know you. So I can say, well, what's going on in your life? Right? What's going on in your life today? What's occupying your thoughts as you walked into the building uh, this morning? Right? Uh, you might be just in a mess. Right? You might have horrendous situations uh, going on in your life. You might be just wracked with fear <coughs> and doubt and misunderstanding. Uh, so go to Jesus. Seek him. Okay? Go uh, to Jesus with the absolute confidence because he has revealed that the way he is, the person that he is, he will then meet you where you're at. He will meet you right at the point of your need. And you and I have then this privilege of experiencing his grace and his touch uh, and his healing, uh, as has been mentioned already, in so many different areas uh, of our lives. I really like that, um, I think, Richard, you included relationships, right? God is a healer, right? He heals physically. He heals spiritually, emotionally. Uh, mentally, he can heal uh, relationships, anything. That's who we uh, come to uh, when we come uh, to Jesus. So why would we go anywhere else? Why would we get stuck in the way of thinking of, I need to get into the pool? That's the way, the only way. Uh, and we uh, can so easily 
uh, get our eyes off, uh, off Jesus and onto the pool. And this is the only way. Uh, and in his grace, he still says there, get up and walk, and still reaches out. Wonderful to have uh, a Savior like that, eh? Uh, and may we continue just to walk uh, closely uh, with him and seek him. Amen. Amen.